Welcome to Suddenly I'm a Leader, the podcast. I'm Anne Davis, RACGP, New South Wales and ACT Faculty Manager. My guest today is Dr Eugene Wong, an alumnus of the Future Leaders Program. He's here to share his experience on changing perceptions of self and also the difficult concept of self-sabotage. Eugene, thank you for being brave and joining me on this topic. Oh, thank you, Anne. It's a pleasure to be here. So, do you remember how you first viewed yourself as a leader? You know, I, I don't think it ever really happened all at once. I had always had a little bit of interest in leadership as a junior doctor, but I, I'd always seen being a leader as doing things within a system or making things happen. So, I was involved in RMO Society, I was active in my church, I helped out with rostering and all of those things I used to think were leadership. I've since come to realise that's a very simplistic way of looking at what being a leader is. So it took me a while to discover, I think, myself as a leader. And in fact, I would say I still don't really feel like a leader. I'm not even sure you ever do. What I mean is, you know, in recent years, I've had the opportunity to be involved in committees to to work on interesting projects, to have a little bit of influence in the groups that I'm in. And I'm finding that people are drawn to some of the the ideas that I share and, and then you feel like you you might be a leader in that way. So it sounds a little bit like your early leadership was more of the position that you had to do something for a group or were nominated authority, but it sounds like now you're seeing how your personal power is a leadership value. Yeah, you know, I think there's a big change in my understanding of what it means to be a leader, and I I still find that word a very tricky word to use, because in my early days, as we were saying, being a leader was about getting things done, you know, changing things, making things happen. And today, it's not about that at all. I find that being a leader or being the kind of person that I would like to have as a leader is more about looking after people and caring for people and being a custodian of the things that are in your sphere of influence so that when you move on or when someone inherits it from you, it's in a better place than when you found it. I think those are the things that that define leadership for me now. And I still find it very difficult to know, am I a leader or not? Was that change from what you were doing to how you were doing it with the people, was that something that you consciously did? Or were you aware of that change, that transition? Yes and no. I think the thing about growth is that it's imperceptible. You're like slowly but surely my perspective on what I was meant to do as a leader or in my career or in life has shifted as it does for everyone. And I don't think I deliberately or intentionally said, I'm going to change the way I look at leadership. I think it's just been the experiences that I've been through, the opportunities that I've had and the challenges that I face have made me value different aspects of what it means to be a leader more. While I still think being a leader is about making change and doing good things and making a project work, that is far less important to me now than genuinely helping people along in their journey. I find that supporting and empowering other people to live or to do the best that they can is probably the essence of leadership for me now. And I imagine that understanding is going to change as I go through life, you know, in the next 
10, 15 years as well. So I guess a question would be when we're leading a group of people or a team, there needs to be some boundaries. So how do you manage boundaries with people that you lead? That's a really good question. Certainly the new way I look at leadership does bring challenges when it comes to looking after yourself and setting boundaries because I think if you define your role as being there for other people and I think many doctors and many clinical people have that altruistic sense of wanting to be there for people you can sometimes do that at the detriment of yourself and you can end up doing it without the self-awareness that you need to set a boundary or that you need to pause for a bit and look after yourself. I've certainly experienced that in my life, in my career. I've had a couple significant burnout episodes in my career, and and I certainly haven't had the longest career. I'm probably mid-career now, and I've already had a couple episodes of burnout. And so I think it it points out how important it is to to set boundaries. The question of how to do it is is one that I've been grappling with for a few years. I think it starts with self-awareness knowing that you're at the point where you really shouldn't be giving more even though you feel like you can. One of my managers once told me, a very wise manager, wise beyond his years, he he told me that there are people in this world that will always need you and you can give them everything and they won't necessarily change. The key is to identify the people that when you give them your time or when you help them with, with what they need, it has an impact on their lives and attempt to focus on on those people more than all the other people who seem to have a need for you. So by need for you in that they will keep needing you and not learn themselves, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think there are people who certainly in their own life journey have different things they need to learn. And It's not up to yourself as a leader or a colleague or a friend to supply every single one of those needs at that phase of their life. And I think it's important to realize what's your duty, what's your responsibility, what can you offer, and what you can't. So I think setting boundaries starts with just that awareness of yourself, what you can offer, what you can't, what you should help with, and what you shouldn't. And I guess even as part of the how to set the boundaries is explaining that to the person as well. Yeah, I I always find that very difficult. I don't always feel like I actually know where the boundaries lie myself, I have to admit. And then trying to communicate that to someone else can be a challenge. I'm thinking, obviously, of the hard relationships, the ones that are people who you actually do get along with and you do care a lot about and you really want to help them out. There are many, and I think the majority of relationships, it's a lot clearer where you know what your duty is, where your responsibilities end. And in those settings, it's very easy to say to people, look, I can only do this much for you and the rest is yours. I do that with patients all the time. So I find it not challenging for the majority of people, but I I do reflect on the people who you really do care about quite a great deal and you know you can help them. There is a tendency for myself and I think others like me to, to give a bit too much. That leads us to this concept of imposter syndrome. Do you want to talk to me about how you tackle imposter syndrome? Yeah, I've definitely changed in the way I think about this topic. I came across the idea of imposter syndrome a number of years ago when I read an article and it was talking mostly about women 
getting into leadership and how it's very common for female leaders to feel imposter syndrome. And I certainly felt that I had the symptoms of it myself. (laughs) What were the key ones? I think the big thing is the self-doubt, is the thinking that you didn't deserve this, somehow you got lucky, and now that you're there, someone's going to figure it out, and you're going to get caught. (laughs) And I think, you know, certain personalities are are much more prone to that than others, I think, but all of us are at risk of feeling that at one point or another. And how I've come to terms with it is to realise how normal it is. Normal, i.e. the syndrome's normal. Yeah, how normal it is to feel like an imposter, how normal it is to doubt yourself and not be sure that you're deserving of what you have, or that you really are what people think you are. And this anxiety that you might be caught out, I think a lot of people feel that. And it doesn't matter if externally they project themselves as very confident. I think internally, a lot of people do question whether or not they are actually doing a good job or whether they have actually earned the position they're in. And the things that have helped me change my thinking on this is realizing that anytime you put yourself out there, to do something meaningful or challenging, you're going to be stepping out of your comfort zone. You're going to be doing something that's new and something you've never done before. And there's theory around this, and forgive me for quoting some theory, but Vygotsky has this very famous concept of the zone of proximal development that they use in educational circles. This idea that there's this zone where you actually grow and the zone is outside your comfort zone, you're always going to feel slightly uncomfortable in that zone. And I think that's what imposter syndrome is, just the feeling of being uncomfortable because I'm doing something new or challenging or meaningful. It doesn't mean that I can't do it or that I don't belong there. It just means that I'm doing something that is slightly new. I'm interested in how you normalise it. I mean, you've described a lot of your approach to thinking about it. Is part of the normalising actually talking about it with other people? Yeah, I've become a lot more transparent over the years. I used to think, and it's partly due to the way I was raised, I used to think you were meant to wear a mask and you were meant to pretend and you shouldn't let people know how insecure or vulnerable you are about anything because people would judge you and and then you'd end up not being able to achieve what you need to achieve because people will make decisions about what you are. And I think society's kind of shifted from that viewpoint, and and so have I. Like, I think being honest and transparent has allowed people to be honest and transparent with me. And I've had some really wonderful conversations with people about their own challenges, their own journeys, how they got to where they were, and the successes and failures of their lives, and people who are aspiring to do some wonderful things. I've spoken to those people and shared my own anxieties and self-doubts with them. And the more I share this, the more open everyone else becomes. And you realize that almost everyone that you speak to has similar concerns about whether or not they belong, whether or not they can achieve, whether or not they deserve. Sounds like displaying some vulnerability is actually a valuable leadership skill. There is a limit to it, of course. Of course. (laughs) Some vulnerability. (laughs) There's absolutely um, a lot of value in showing that you're human to other people. Yes. But there there are also days when you need to toughen up a little bit and get on with the the job. So, uh, yeah, it's a balance. Vulnerability at the right time. (laughs) Exactly. And with the right people. You've got to choose your audience well. Yes. Yes. What about your self-care? So... How do you take care of yourself as a leader so that you don't self-sabotage? I really struggle with self-care. I'm one of those type A 
personalities that likes to get a lot of things done. And in doing so, I tend to prioritize the things that don't matter as much as the other things. So it's something I've recognized as a challenge for me. But as the years go by, you know, with a growing family, I am starting to realize that sometimes what you say are values aren't shown in my actions. You know, what the things that I genuinely value, if I were to sit down in a quiet moment and decide this is what I really care about, I don't always make decisions in line with that. And self-care is one of those big things where you know, deep down inside, I know I need to care for myself, to be there for my family, to be healthy myself and be happy and, and have energy, and also to do the good work that I'd like to do, whatever that, that is. The things that have helped me get there are, I've actually benefited a lot from coaching and have even benefited a lot from psychology. Having someone to talk your challenges through gives you perspective that's hard to see when you're in the midst of it. So it's through recently a lot of coaching that's helped me recognize the things that I can do to care for myself better. And going back to your boundaries question, what the boundaries are that I need to set. It sounds like your particular skills are recognizing when you do need to have a chat with someone, whether that's a mentor or a psychologist or a colleague. So you do actually have some self-care strategies. It's just that's your style. Yeah, I've learned a lot of things about self-care that I never worried about when I was in my 20s. Things like getting enough sleep. It it seems simple. And I know everyone talks about these are the things you need to do to self-care, but there is nothing more challenging in my work, I find in my life, than trying to make decisions tired. And when you do, you just create more problems for yourself, which makes you have to work twice as hard and then you're more tired. So something as simple as resting or just taking a break. There's a quote, and I don't know if I remember it exactly, but it's by someone by the name of McEwen, and he wrote a book called Essentialism. And his quote is that rest is a responsibility. I've loved that quote ever since I've seen it, that the rest is a responsibility. And I think that's also something that as a society, not really valuing rest, although I think more in COVID times, because we're talking about more self-care and mental well-being, maybe we are starting to think that, yes, rest and sleep is important. But I guess if something like that mantra that rest is a responsibility and you role modeling that to your colleagues and your patients, I mean, I think that's a really valuable thing. Yeah, I think we have too many examples of people who burn candles at both ends. And I'm guilty of being one of those people or following those examples myself. I think society does need a shift and and in particular healthcare, medicine needs a shift in the way we think about these things. And I'd like to be moving forward a role model for actual, and balance is not the word that I like to use because it gets overused, but a a role model for how to live life counterculturally, slightly differently and, and have it still be meaningful, valuable and productive and perhaps more so because I've been able to look after myself. Eugene, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed listening to your journey and your thoughts on leadership. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Thank you. And until next time, be kind to each other.